This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at afsp.org slash talkawaythedark. This is a photograph. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're listening to This is a Photograph by Kevin Morby. It's off his latest album of the same name. Morby's a gem of indie Americana. His music is soulful and embodies what makes classic country great. Yet there's always a modern twist. And Morby, he's prolific. This is his seventh full-length studio album. Kevin Morby is on tour as we speak, and he'll be playing at Chicago's Vic Theater on Monday. And he joins me now. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kevin. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. So we just opened on the hit single from your new album. You know, I understand that this song, even maybe the album, it came from coping after a very traumatic event. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was, um, you know, I was, this sort of health scare took place with my father where I was at a family dinner at my sister's house. And my father um, had this uh moment where he he passed out in front of the family and he sort of hit the ground and he had to be taken away to the ambulance mm-hmm. and um later that evening luckily um it wasn't too big of a deal and 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 later that night he um was released from the hospital and we ended up going to my my family's home and my mom unearthed this old box of family photographs and I came upon this one of my father as a younger man he would have been living in Texas at the time. He mm-hmm. would have been around the age 32, which happened to be the age that I was there sitting looking at that photograph. And it also would have been the year that I was born. And this photograph, you know, he looked very young and sort of confident and healthy in it. And it seemed like it was he was having this sort of conversation with the incident that had just taken place. I really just saw sort of the passage of time between mm-hmm. the event that took place earlier that evening and then this old photograph. And that kind of prompted this this whole this whole record in a way, just mm-hmm. thinking a lot about families and time and sort of the passing of the torch. You know, earlier that evening, I was lifting my dad up in a way that he used to lift me up when I was younger, and it kind of felt like yeah. our roles had been reversed. That is that is pretty cool. You know, you had a repeated line that stood out to me. They have a glimmer in their eye that says, "This is what I'll miss about being alive, and this is what I'll miss after I die." Got a glimmer in her eye. Okay, can you just talk about mixing these themes here? Because the song feels triumphant, right? But it also talks about recognizing what you have and what you're also going to lose in death. Yeah, you know... Like I said, it was fortunately um, 
you know, my, my father was released from the hospital later that night and it ended up being um, not as big of a deal as it seemed like in the moment, but you know, there was this moment where he, he passed out and it almost felt um, as if he had died before me. You know, I remember thinking about how Joan Didion's husband died during dinner um, right before her and just sort of that fragile, very thin line that we all are kind of walking on um, as human beings alive on this planet where at any moment, you know, we could kind of cross over into whatever the next life is. And so I was just thinking a lot about that sentiment and especially, you know, how these photographs um, live on and, you know, they're little pieces of paper with images on them. Mm -hmm. But it almost feels, especially looking at old family photographs and you can, you know, really follow the breadcrumb trail back to, you know, a lot of great, great, great grandmothers and, and grandfathers. And everyone seems to kind of have this haunted look in their eye where it's almost they're looking out at the viewer and it's it's as if they're speaking to you from beyond the dead, um, just sort of, you know, this little candid moment that I was captured in, this is something that you will perhaps miss. Maybe it doesn't feel like a big time, a big deal at the time, but mm -hmm. it, 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 it could certainly become that to someone who doesn't have that chance anymore. Yeah, very interesting. I, I want to get into Memphis a little bit. Why did you choose to write the majority of the album there? You know, speaking of time, I wrote the record during sort of peak quarantine and peak COVID, which... I think created this platform um, for time, you know, at once it felt very stagnant, but it also felt like that year was going by really quickly, but it also felt like it was never ending. And it also had me sort of focusing on the past in a way that I never had before. And I think simply because I was able to sit so still and kind of look behind me. And then also, of course, I, like everyone else, was really thinking of the future. So it felt like time was sort of all around me. And Memphis is this place that I feel has really embodied its history and, and really sort of, it represents its history in a way that not all cities do. You know, you can still go there and see Martin Luther King's bed is unmade from the morning when he was assassinated. You can still go to Elvis's home. You can see what his living room looked like. So there was something almost comforting to me about the fact that you could go to Memphis and be surrounded by the past. And though all those people had very complicated histories and history was complicated at those moments in time for various different reasons. Mm -hmm. It felt a little uncomplicated by the fact that there was no COVID. And um, so I don't know, it's almost, it became this comforting place where it felt like I was living in a different time period, one in which perhaps COVID didn't exist. And that felt very comforting to me. And beyond that, I just think Memphis is a very resilient, beautiful, sort of tough city that is, um, I don't know, it felt like a good place to sort of take refuge from this this new scary virus that was on us all. Yeah, well, I want to listen to another track then. This one's called A Coat of Butterflies. There's a lighthouse on the water Throwing light back at the shore I heard your dad trying to swim towards it Now you're living on the river's floor I heard the mighty Mississippi took you out with just one punch. I heard you had the voice of a sweetheart, but the sweetheart was out getting drunk. So, speaking of legends in memphis i understand you were inspired by jeff buckley here can you talk more about yes. that yeah you know jeff buckley became this sort of um 
uh, you know, for lack of a better word, a lighthouse. I use that in the song about him, so it sounds a little cheesy, but he really did become this sort of uh, inspiration for me out of left field. I I'd done an interview with um, a writer actually in Chicago for Vice Magazine where they picked a classic album that I'd never heard to listen to, and they interviewed me about it in real time, and they chose Jeff Buckley's Grace. And in that short period of time in doing the interview, I learned that Jeff Buckley had passed away in Memphis in the Mississippi River. He had sort of mysteriously drowned, and suddenly his story became so peculiar and mysterious to me. And sort of following his last days in Memphis, you know, I I felt that I related to a lot of the stories that I was hearing. You know, he was somebody who was an outsider to Memphis, as was I. He came from California and mm-hmm. he sort of cut his teeth in New York. Those are two things that I did. And I felt like he was after sort of this kernel of American, American um, roots that you, you, you kind of have to chase back to a place like Memphis. And so I just felt a real kinship with his story and, and with his music. And um, I would say of all the people that I was sort of researching and kind of living amongst their ghosts while in Memphis, his was probably the biggest and the most inspiring to me. Hmm. You're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're speaking to singer-songwriter Kevin Morby. His latest album, This Is a Photograph, was released back in May, and he's now on tour and performing this Monday, Halloween, at Chicago's Vic Theater. All right, back to the music. This one's called Rock Bottom. So there's a lot to talk about with this song because uh, clearly, <laughs> if you listen to the whole thing, it's it's this self-conscious exploration of anxiety, right, and potential. Mm-hmm. But it's also a jam. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm curious, how did it come together? Uh, you know, it's a funny song, and it's it's funny to hear it, um, the recorded version, and how we play it live because it has become this sort of big bombastic thing. But you know, I wrote it on an acoustic guitar. I was inspired by the late garage rocker um whose moniker was jay retard um and his story and he was also a memphian and he's a story that you know i sort of encountered while i was writing in memphis and um it could be um you know you know directly inspired by him but it's also just sort of the tale or a story of um that's not or that's unique to to a lot of people who are sort of rags to riches stories you know people who sort of um, grow up in a certain environment, and then through their talent, they find fame, and mm-hmm. the fame becomes then very destructive and tragic to them. So it's it's a it's a story that you could apply to a lot of different celebrities or a lot of people. But it's that notion of yeah, sort of coming from nothing, and then suddenly you um, are sort of uh, surrounded by by money and fame for the first time, and tragedy often follows that. Yeah, well, you you feature Alia Shawkat and Tim Heidecker in an unusual way, right? They're, they're not actually singing, they're laughing. <laughs> yes, What's the deal? They're, they're laughing. I've always wanted a laugh track on a song and that was kind of the perfect opportunity to do so. You know, so on Jay Retard's record, um, Blood Visions, he is covered in blood um, to sort of represent Carrie, um, Sissy Spacek as Carrie in the movie Carrie. 
And, you know, that line is used a lot in that. Carrie's mother is yelling at Carrie. They're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. So, you know, I knew I wanted to use that line. And once I had that line, I thought it would be great to sort of sonically represent that laughter and have some actual laughter. Uh. And at first I was going to do it. Um, but then, you know, again, this was during the quarantine and the pandemic, and I'd become internet friends with both Ali Shawkat and um, Tim Heidecker. And I thought to myself, these are funny professionals who could do a way better job at this. And luckily, they were both into <laughs> it. And they, they both provided me with a really fun laughter. It worked out. It worked out. All right, let's listen to another track. This one's called Stop Before I Cry. How you were so young You were still sucking on a bottle Like it was sucking on God's gun But from stage you would take flight And whistle like a songbird While swaying in a blue dress You turn the crowd into a big mess Cause Katie when you sing to me It's like a melody Coming off the mountain in, coming at the sea, stopping at the plains, up into a Memphis sky. Katie, stop the song, man. Stop before I cry. So this one's uh, this one's beautiful. I mean, you've got the strings, the birds chirping. I do want to talk briefly, though, about your your partner, Katie Crutchfield, an artist herself, right, who's performing under the mm-hmm. name Waxahachie. How much creative inspiration do you get from your relationship with her? You know, being in another relationship with a songwriter um, is, it can be complicated at times, but more so than not, it's, it's sort of just this beautiful thing, you know, where yeah. we notice that we're popping up in one another's songs and um, you know, I think we were three months into dating when I found some lyrics that Katie had written that were about me and about us having just started dating. And it became this funny thing. But it's kind of been like oh, that ever cool. since. And so I kind of liked um, the idea of not beating around the bush and sort of just throwing her name in a song um, in case anyone had any doubt who I was singing about. <laughs> I am indeed singing about my girlfriend, Katie Crutchfield. Um uh, yeah, in terms of inspiration, it's 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 funny. It's just it's almost like our home is a little songwriting factory where we bounce ideas off of one another, and um, you know, it's that thing when she writes a song, I feel compelled to do the same, and and vice versa. It's a it's a beautiful thing. That's very romantic. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think "Stop Before I Cry." It, it's also just um, a really great representation of your influences, right? Because I'm I'm hearing Bob Dylan. In your lyrics, um, Leonard Cohen, Randy Newman in, in your vocals. Yeah, you know, all those are in there. I will also say, you know, I was looking, listening to a lot of um, Nick Drake, uh, his, his first couple of records. I could have been a sailor, could have been a cook. A real life lover could have been a book. They're very orchestrated, and, and there's a lot going on with the production. I remember specifically with that song, trying to touch on those. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, Bob Dylan is a huge influence of mine, Leonard Cohen. I'm also a huge Nina Simone fan. Oh, cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Where you gonna run to? All on that day, will I run to the rock? Hide me and run to the rock. Please hide me and run to the rock. 
huge uh, Towns Van Zandt fan. Well, if I needed you, would you come to me? Would you come to me and ease my pain? If you needed me, I would come. I feel, I always say that my five biggest influences are Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, Lou Reed, Nina Simone, and Towns Van Zandt. I think if you take those five and um, a few select records from each of them, they, it's almost gets boring um, to interviewers. I feel bad sometimes because I feel like each record they're asking what inspired the latest album. And I'm like, just the same five people. <laughs> I just keep listening to their amazing music and it keeps making me want to make music. You're based out of Kansas City, where you grew up, and mm-hmm. um, you lived before that in New York and Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, now, you spoke with Jess Showman of the Chicago band Tensi in an interview for the magazine Bomb. Mm. The topic of the Midwest and, and growing up in a, a boring suburb came up. I want to remind you what you said. You said it was that lack of culture that made me want to escape mentally and drew me toward books and films and music. If I was from a more exciting place, I might not have had such a desire to escape and feed that hunger for culture. So you're back in Kansas City. So do you feel that (laughs) hunger for culture coming back? Well, you know, now my life is just so radically and wildly different than it was then, um, you know, the biggest way is that I, I travel the world for a living. So I sort of get, you know, I always say it's like I get my yayas out, like traveling the world yeah. where I, you know, that's where I see friends and I, I get to try restaurants or go to museums or right. I really get my culture literally by traveling the world. But, you know, also, I mean, Kansas City has become so much more cultured um, in the time since I was living there as a kid. And it's a really beautiful thing to see because I see a lot of young kids sort of high school age working at restaurants or around town. And I think, you know, these kids have access to a lot of things that me and my friends didn't have access to. And we really had to go to a place like New York City or to Los Angeles to access those things. I now think that, um, you know, with the internet and everything else, but just also in the way that cities have changed, people have a lot more at their disposal in uh, a place like Kansas City, which is a great thing to see. Yeah. Um, But in terms of my life, you know, it's really nice to be close to my family and to come home after, you know, like right now I'm on the road for seven weeks, mm-hmm. um, four weeks in, I have three more to go. And so by the time I get home, it's really nice for me to go to a place that is a little bit more quiet and a little bit more, um, you know, there's less temptation than a place like New York or L.A. Because when I lived in those places, it felt like in a way the touring never stopped. Yeah. And I felt like that started to mess with my creativity a little bit. And um, Kansas City, it's just it's, it's a more humble place where it's easy for me to, to mm-hmm. channel my creative spirit. Well, you talk about being on the road for so many weeks. I know that you just played Toronto, which is where I'm from. How'd Beautiful. it go? Beautiful. I love Toronto. Uh, well, it went amazing. I mean, you're not it just saying amazing. that because you're talking to me, right? <laughs> no, no. Toronto is always one of my favorite places to play. And the last time that we played Toronto, I remember there was um, an NBA championship game. And I was a Raptors fan at the time because of Kawhi Leonard. And... um no disrespect to the Bulls. I know this is Chicago, Chicago <laughs> station, but um, but we just had this victorious night where we played this amazing show, and I've all, since that moment I've always felt this uh, this sort of um, 
you know, real love for Toronto. And I really love playing there. It's a it's an amazing city. So you are playing in Chicago this Monday, which is Halloween. Yes. Any plans to maybe spook up your performance? A little bit. It's a, it's <laughs> a funny thing that the band and I have been debating. And I guess you just got to come to find out, though. I've been watching a lot of No Country for Old Men, and I think that that I might be I might be taking some inspiration from that for my costume if I were to dress up. So you have to come to find out, but perhaps I'll be a character from No Country for Old Men. Sounds good. We have been speaking with folk Americana artist Kevin Morby. You can catch him Monday at the Vic Theater. Thank you so much for chatting with me, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me. All right, let's go out on one more track that also closes out your album. This song's called Goodbye to the Good Times. Seems the good times have finally come to pass. Make way for bad times soon to cross our path. My father was a young man He got Mickey Mantle's autograph And with the M shaped like the moon He would contemplate the stars In which the good times Would never come to pass No, they just don't Make them like that no more No, they just don't Make them like they used to When my mother was 19 She danced a Tina Tina Turner In the hall we'd become a catwalk And she'd go to the show No, they just don't Make them like that no more Well, rock me, baby Oh, rock me, child I miss the good times, mama Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.